your Bible this morning and turning again to the seventh chapter of the book of Judges. And just those final verses, 23 through 25. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all of Mount Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took waters, took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and of Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. Stand with me again, please, and sing together, if you will, in your hymn book number 242, standing, and please sing out as I shall save my voice, 242. seated. Parting thoughts this morning on chapter 7. Just some parting thoughts. As we gather ourselves together again on this blessed Lord's Day, 
it is not possible, at least in my mind, for me to be here this morning and not rejoice again in the remembrance of how our Lord visited our hearts so gloriously on the last Lord's Day with that powerful message from verse 19 in our chapter. I have listened again now and again to that message from last week, and I confess that we may all have benefited if I had had the liberty to just ask Luke to preach it again here today. Nothing could rejoice my own heart more than to hear it. But by the Lord's direction and grace, I intend to move us along again to the conclusion of this seventh chapter, or at least until my voice fails. Like those Israelites of old in Exodus chapter 16, it is by the ordination of our God that we must gather our food fresh from week to week. And like them, we are not to live on yesterday's bread. To that end, we come again to this seventh chapter in the record of Israel's judges. And I would have us to gather up a few of the fragments of the manna that still lay scattered there in this chapter for us. We saw in Luke's message that midnight march of Gideon and his 300 faithful brethren. We saw in my last message before Luke brought that message, we saw that astonishing scene of wild, frenzied chaos. I don't know if you caught it in Luke's message. I thought it was a graphic description phrase he gave it. Luke called it a sovereign choreography of confusion. <laughs> How well said indeed. And we saw that. We watched that. We looked at that scene in our minds. Where by the stroke of God's hand, Every man among God's enemies was turned against his brother. And brother was turned in murderous rage against brother until nearly all were slain. And that is a large number. You remember that judges described them as grasshoppers for multitude. And said that their camels were like the sand of the sea. And we saw that strange and amazing scene where they turned by the hand of God one upon another. Until no doubt they lay in heaps on the valley floor where God had amassed them. And then all of those who escaped. This grand slaughter were trapped, as we read in the verses this morning, trapped in their efforts to flee, and they too were put to the sword. Two princes, Oreb and Zeb, fell under the vengeance of our God, and their heads were delivered to Gideon, on the other side of Jordan. <laughs> that phrase jumped out at me again as a glorious sermon title. Can you imagine a sermon entitled When Your Head is on the Other Side of Jordan? <laughs> they were sent, their heads <laughs> 
were sent to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. No doubt in the morning sun of the next day, it could be seen by all what the Lord hath wrought. Indeed, the words of that passage may well be repeated here in our study. You'll find them in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 22. Surely there is no enchantment, said Moses, against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. Surely that terminology describes this scene in Judges chapter 7. And no doubt by the conclusion of that day in verse 25, it could be said with great emphasis, Oh, what hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? But now, what may we yet learn in concluding of this chapter of study? I suggest only a couple more lessons which seem to me to be unavoidable. And I know that I have not been exhaustive. I say it many times during this period of studies and Joshua and Judges. Of course, I have not extinguished all that can be mined from these great riches. And much is left behind, as Luke mentioned in his message last week. But I suggest only a couple more in our passing. The first, let me say to you, would you notice with me that once Gideon had obeyed, and you remember the great long struggle he had, in coming to this hour, all the way back to that wine press and the first encounter with this angel. But once he had obeyed, and once Israel's faithful men, the 300 had looked on him, verse 17, and followed him, once God's instructions had been followed implicitly, Nothing remained to be done but to stand. (laughs) Look at verse 21. And they stood, every man in his place. Everything's been done now. Everything has been done now. And nothing remains to be done but to stand. Can you just look with me again? Please allow me just to capture this scene before your mind's eye and look with me again one more time in order to grasp the lesson that I'm trying to give you. The 300 had broken their pitchers, raised their trumpets with the blast, and raised their torches in the night, and shouted, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They've done all of that. (laughs) And now, there they stand. In the glow of those torches, 
here they stand. Just stand. They still have no weapons of war. They still are with no swords, no camels, no armies to be marshaled. Here they stand with nothing but the naked promises of God just standing. (laughs) As this scene of carnage unfolds before their very eyes. And I say to you that they must have been nearly as shocked as were the Midianites. Suddenly, as I've said it to you before so many times, suddenly the black night is ablaze with light and sound and noise and they are watching this scene unfold in their very presence. This must have been shocking. Men running everywhere in mass hysteria, adding their voices to Gideon's men and screaming, swords gleaming, gleaming no doubt in the reflection of these lighted torches, swords gleaming red with blood in the torchlight. And the trumpets are still blaring. And shouts are still ascending. And all, all of this. And what are they now to do? Just stand. Just stand. Oh, (laughs) in the words of Moses again. In Exodus 14 and verse 13. He said fear ye not. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will show unto you today for the. He said Egyptians will substitute the word Midianites. For the Midianites whom ye have seen today. Ye shall see them. No more forever, hallelujah. Just stand still now. And watch what I do. Oh, (laughs) might I just suggest to you this morning that there comes a time in our journey. Yea, there comes a time even in our battle. When we have done all that can be done, we've done all that should be done. We've claimed the promises. We've obeyed the orders. And now all that remains to be done, blessed be our God, is just a stand. Just stand still. Oh, God, give us the grace for standing. Surely this is a most timely message in our hearts in this hour. Our brother referred to it already in his prayer this morning. He said something to the effect that in another week's gone past, we've gone yet further down the great spiral into destruction. Oh, listen to me. Here's a lesson. Here's a lesson in verse 21. As all this scene, this astonishing, dare I say, shocking scene unfolds in the light of their torches. What are they to do? Nothing. Just stand. I said to you some times we come to a place in our journey. Yes, even in our battle when we've done, 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 done. The doing is over with. 
There's no more to be done. It's all been done. And all we can do is stand with the naked promises of God and stand and wait and see the salvation of our God. Oh, this is a timely message for us. Oh, God, give us Christians again that will stand. I'll never forget, I've referred to it, I'm sure, many times over the years. I'll never forget Lester Roloff preaching, Tennessee Temple, 1971. Preaching that great message. I have the mess, I have the recording in my study if you'd like to hear it. He preached the need of the hour is a mad prophet. And I'll never forget in one place in that message. Brother Roloff was already been jailed twice out there in Texas for doing the work of God he'd been doing for 40 years. All of a sudden the state decided it wasn't right. He couldn't do it anymore. They locked him up. He said, when he was out, preachers would be calling him from all over the country. And they said to him, Brother Roloff, we're behind you, brother. He said, oh, he said the same thing to him. I know you are, brother, but how far? How far behind me are you? Timely message. We need to stand. We are in a spineless jellyfish generation of milk toast compromisers whose fortitude is jello and whose convictions are plastic and most professors today have already at hand every excuse for moving the boundaries of God's law and adopting the standards of their lives to the pressures of the world's pragmatics. God, give us Christians that will stand again. Just stand. Just refuse to move. God, give us saints again with the moral fortitude to stand while the madness of the raging world swirls around us in bloody torrents of hopeless self-destruction just like these midnights. Can you see it in the night? There they stand their trumpets blowing. There they stand with their torches burning. There they stand shouting, Sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And these mobs are routing around like crashing ocean waves trying to get out of this mess. What are they to do? Just stand here. Amen. Amen. Oh, God, give us Christians of the moral fortitude to stand while the madness of the raging world swirls around them. Said the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 6 and verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. Just stand in the old ways. Oh, in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle admonishes us in verse 13 and 14 to take on, listen to him, take on, he said, the whole armor and then, listen, stand therefore having your Loins girt about with truth, having done all to stand. It couldn't be more clear. Brethren, there's no place for a compromising spirit in this army. No wonder God whittled them down to 300. There's no place for a compromising Spirit on this night. It's going to take men that will stand when everything has been done. Oh, listen. Fair weather professions in our generation, fair weather professions are a dime a dozen and wishy-washy pragmatics are a wholesale blight on the gospel church in this hour. And some of us may have been tainted 
by their compromise. I've watched this generation grow weak in the knees and soft in the back. And I fear sometimes I check myself again to see am I becoming comfortable with making excuses for why things aren't like they ought to be. Some of you need to look. Some of you need to look. What kind of excuses are you making? Midian's hosts won't be routed by traitors or cowards who throw down their lamps and run. The need of the hour is brave men and women who'll stand. You see, especially as Americans, we always are looking for something else to do. <laughs> We're a doing people, aren't we? And much of that is commendable. Much of that is very commendable. But when it comes to this business of God, what we need to do is what He has commanded. And when we've done that, we need to just stay right there. Just stand right there. Oh, may we not summon courage from God's everlasting promises and stand even amidst the wild frenzies of this lunatic generation, may we not summon courage from God's promises and just stand unmovable, as unmovable as the rocks amid the crashing waves and hold forth our lamp and just keep shouting the sword of the Lord and the beginning. There's a real danger. Hear me now. There's a real danger under the pressures of a battle scene. Especially one that breaks out suddenly as it did here. There's a real danger for us to either want to fall back or rush in. And both or a danger. We need to just stand. <laughs> oh, I'm saying it so many different ways. I hope something, some way I'm saying it, God puts it in your heart to understand. Look at this scene. They didn't need to rush in. They didn't need to fall back. They done what God said. They just needed to stand. Brother Roloff told us young preachers that day. He said, fellas, I'm going to stand if every one of you runs. And he did. And he said the district attorney brought him in the court for his hearing and said, Brother Roloff, when did you get it in your mind to do this? To stand like that? Why? When did that ever, he said 40 years ago, when I left the farm barefooted, carrying a milk cow behind me, I walked to Baylor University. It was Baylor College then. He said, I walked to Baylor with a milk cow my daddy gave me to milk that cow, sell the milk. And he said, as I walked to Baylor, I promised God, that if he'd help me stand, I'd never move. Help me get through this school. I'll never move. Barefooted. That's what he told the judge. And the judge looked at the fellas in the courtroom and said, Fellas, it looks like we got a hard-headed preacher on our hands. That's right. Because he's just going to stand. 
Oh God, help us. This Bible, this Bible will stay our hearts and steady our feet. The blessed power of God will enable us and we'll stand. Deuteronomy chapter 32 at verse 30. How should one chase a thousand? <laughs> and two put ten thousand to fight. Except their rock had sold them. And the Lord had shut them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Hallelujah. Their rock. It's not like our rock. Our rock will stand. Even our enemies themselves being judges. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Joshua chapter 23. You remember it. Chapter 23 and verse 9. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you until this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. All these 300 <laughs> in the light of those torches, they're watching all this scene and all this mass mob running by them. What do they need to do, Brother John? Just stand there. Just stand there. Later in Joshua chapter 24, listen. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I'm going to stand right here and serve the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. Just stand. Well, I'll try to finish and give you a second lesson this morning. I must hasten to point your hearts to just one more lesson. Lying plainly on the surface of our text. I would have you to see the instruments employed for victory. The instruments employed for victory. Surely... This application must not elude us. Very quickly, let me just show you the instruments. Number one, trumpets. Verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came from outside the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets. Verse 20. The three companies blew the trumpets. They employed three things. Number one, trumpets. These are the instruments they use. The trumpet, you see, had always been a symbol of the heralding of God's voice. The trumpet was a symbol of the heralding of God's voice. It had always been true. Look at Exodus chapter 19, or just listen as I turn to it and read for you. Luke chapter 19 and verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet 
exceeding loud. What's happening? God's speaking. The voice of God. The trumpet has always been a symbol of the voice of God. Later on there in that scene, in chapter 20 and verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet. The noise of the trumpet. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 12. I'm just showing you that it always been that the trumpet was a symbol of God's voice being announced and speaking. Isaiah 27 and verse 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt and ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. They shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, the outcasts of the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. I'm telling you, it's always been a symbol of the voice of God to be heard. Most especially was it a symbol of the voice of God to be heard in the matter of his judgment, his declaration of judgment. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense cities. God's voice is heard. I don't have time. And if I had the time, I don't have the voice. Look at Hosea sometime chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. Look at Joel chapter 2. Verse 1 and verse 15. Look at Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1 where he says, Cry out, spare out, lift up your voice like a trumpet. It's always been a symbol, always been a symbol of the voice of God. And all that night when those trumpets blared in the darkness, they announced that God had come. But you may say, some may be foolish enough to say, but that was all in the Old Testament system. All those verses you shared, those were all in the Old Testament. That's all gone now. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, but it's not so, is it? Oh, there are yet trumpets. There are yet trumpets of judgment to be sounded throughout the corridors of all the worlds and every man will hear them. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13. On and on you could go. Every one of those angels comes and blows a trumpet and opens a vial. Oh, there's trumpets yet to be sounded that are going to announce the judgment of God. But all oh, the trumpet sometimes announces the voice of God for rejoicing as well. All oh, Second Chronicles five, eleven through thirteen, and Psalm ninety eight, four through six. Oh, what a blessed word is that! Psalm ninety eight, verse four. Listen to what it says. Psalm ninety eight in verse four. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp, with the voice of the psalm, with the trumpets, verse 6, the sound of the coronet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, before the Lord, the King. They stood that day in one of the instruments of their victory 
blocks the trumpet. Oh, can I say to you this morning, what a glorious day was that. What a glorious day was that. When God in Christ first blew the trumpet of reconciliation from the Mount of Salvation in my ears. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, I'd heard. I'd already heard that fearful trumpet from Sinai. Oh, I heard that voice from Sinai. What a fearful trumpet it was. But blessed be God, I heard another sweet cornet. Oh, and it was dripping with the music of reconciliation, salvation. That gospel trumpet. Hallelujah. What a sound when I heard that gospel trumpet from Calvary. Secondly, second instrument. There was an instrumentality of a trumpet, but they used another instrument in verse 20 and 21. Notice there was the instrumentality of light. Verse 20, the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands. Verse 21, they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the hosts cried and fled and the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow and even out of the hosts and all the men, they break their pitchers and their lamps were seen. Verse 16. With them were pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. You see, God uses light. The instrumentality of our victory is in light. Oh, blessed be God for the light. Can you imagine what a shock it was on this night? When those those pitchers burst and suddenly 300 torches are blaring in the night sky. Oh, it was shocking. They burst upon this camp, but it was no different when that God brought the light and burst it upon, broke the pitcher and burst it upon my soul in dazzling light. Oh! It was dazzling in brilliance. It was stunning in splendor. It was shocking in revelation. But it was light to salvation. Oh, the soul that first sees this great light, like these Midianites, is cast into a frenzy, a panic, until the eye of faith is finally enabled to see that it has sprung forth from a broken vessel. Oh, from a broken vessel. Oh, can I say to you this morning, what glorious light has burst out of this broken vessel at Calvary. Matthew 27 and 45 reminds us what happened that night from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying Eli, Eli lama sabachthani That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 50, when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. The vessel was broken. Darkness prevailed over the whole earth. 
until God broke the vessel. Hallelujah. And then light, light burst out of that broken vessel. Light broke out of that broken vessel. No wonder Ann Cousin in 1857 wrote these words. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Listen. Dark, dark hath been the midnight. But oh, day spring has at hand. And glory. Go and dwell it in a man's land. God broke the vessel at Calvary. And light burst out of it. She went on and said, I've wrestled on towards heaven against storm and wind and tide. Now like a weary traveler that leaneth on his guide amid the shades of evening while sinks life's Lingering sand, I held a glory <laughs> dawning from a man's land. Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. Soon shall the desert briar break into Eden's rose. The curse shall change to blessing the name on earth that's banned. Be graven on the white stone in Emmanuel's land. Hallelujah. Broke the vessels in light. Blessed be our God. What great light has birthed forth from this vessel at Calvary. So great was this light. (laughs) Revelation 21, 22, and 23. I won't read it. So great was this light that burst forth from Calvary that it shines all the way from heaven's floor to from hell's floor to heaven's vaulted ceiling. You say, I don't know about that. Well, then you need to read Revelation 22 and following. 21 verse 22 and following. This light shined all the way from heaven's floor to heaven, from hell's floor to heaven's vaulted ceiling. Now finally, look with me briefly at the final instrument of Gideon's victory. Verse 20. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They used words. Words. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't just the trumpet. It wasn't just the light. It was the words. The sword of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? They're standing here now in the light of these torches. And all of this sovereignly choreographed confusion going on around them. And they Still had no swords. But they're crying. The sword of the Lord. (laughs) The world says that's insane. That's foolishness. That's right. That's right. The world says it's foolishness. We come along with this sword. With these words. And the world says it's foolishness. They had no swords. They're standing there screaming, the sword of the Lord. (laughs) They had no swords, not any of human making. Both their hands were filled, but not with swords. Their mouths were filled with swords, though. God's words. You see, God told them to say that. God told them to say that. They're just giving them what God said. 
the words. Can I tell you, these are the instruments of God's delivering power. His words. By these kingdoms are demolished and sinners are slain by the multitudes and God's kingdom is established. How? By these words. Malachi knew it. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. <clears throat> he shall sit as a refiner and purify the silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them with gold and silver. that They may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Who is this that's coming? Who is Malachi talking about? Oh, John told us in his genealogy, didn't he? He said in the beginning was the Word. Who's coming? The Word. <laughs> he was in the beginning with God. Who? The Word. <laughs> his name is the Word. This is the power of God. This is the sword of the Lord. This is the word. This is the sword that thundered down from Sinai. This is the sword that stilled the waters at Galilee. This is the weapon that cried out from Calvary and burst the graves of Jerusalem. This is the sword whose unsheathing cleaves the heavens and carve the nations. And we have it. Right here. Inscripturated. Well did Matthew Henry say. Talking about this text. He said this method here taken. Of defeating the Midianites. May be alluded to as. Typifying the destruction. Of the devil's kingdom. In the world. By the preaching of the everlasting gospel. And sounding of that trumpet. And holding forth that light. Out of earthen vessels. Out of earthen vessels. In whom the treasures of that light. Are deposited. 2 Corinthians 4. 6. Thus God chose the foolish things of the world. To confound the wise. He chose a barley cake. To overthrow the tents of Midian. That the excellency of the power might be of God only. The gospel is a sword in the hand, but in the mouth. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon, of God and of Christ, him that sits on the throne. And the Lamb, this is the sword. The Word of God. That's why we can stand. Because the Word doesn't change. When we've obeyed, there's nothing left to do. There's no revision. There's no amendment. He doesn't have an appendix in the back. Just do what he says. And then stand. They cannot. And they will not. Stand before. This weapon. Oh. With such weapons as these. How can any of God's enemies. Survive. They will not. I would bring our thoughts in this chapter to a close. I think most fittingly by the consideration of the words in Psalm 83 to conclude our thoughts in this chapter. Today. 
Keep not thou silence. O God, hold not thy peace. And be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. And they that hate thee have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and have consulted against thy hidden ones. They've said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. That's what Midian had said. That the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederated against thee. Verse 11, make their nobles like Orion and like Zeb. What were they like? (laughs) Well, everything but their head was on one side of Jordan and their head was on the other. Yea, all their princes. Oh my God, verse 13. Make them like a wheel as the stubble before the wind. As the fire burneth the wood, as the flame setteth the mounds on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest. and Make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish that men may know that men may know, that men may know that thou, whose name alone, Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Learn it, Midian. Look at this night and remember, Jehovah is Lord alone. What can we do? What can we do to see such a victory? It's really simple. Just obey, and then after that, just stand. Just stand. Parting thoughts. Stand with me, please. And sing out. My voice is gone. Hymn number 343, please.
Thank mm-hmm. you.